Hello everyone and welcome back to the Sports Mill Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well. On today's episode, we are going to be discussing the business of sports. Definitely a more overarching topic, but an important one. Because in any business, money is important and it is the same way in the business of sports. And we're going to start by discussing the Ben Simmons saga and who's right in that situation. Is Ben right or the 76ers? And me and Andrew are going to discuss the fair trade scenarios. See what I did there? For Ben Simmons and what the 76ers should do with him. And that's going to lead us into an overall discussion of the business of sports. Do the players have too much power now? Do the owners have too much power? And what would we like to see change moving forward? And then we're going to give a broad overview of the NBA offseason and some of the acquisitions for these teams that will affect the upcoming season. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoy. All right, we're going to have a little bit of a different topic I want to talk about today. A lot of times we focus on uh, a specific sport and breaking down how the teams are looking, how the players are looking. But I really wanted to talk about a general overarching topic in sports because I think those are are cool to think about. And something that we have seen uh, recently in the headlines is more about the business of the sports world, especially when it, as this story relates to the NBA. Obviously, there solely has been a big uh, kind of controversy and shadow hanging over the 76ers organization right now with what they're going to do with Ben Simmons. And it's just honestly really been sad that you've seen a star player uh, of his magnitude um, have to go through what he has because he's still a good player in this league, but yet there seems to be a disconnect between what the 76ers want from him and what he wants from that organization. And now it's just soured uh, to the point to where I don't know if they can fix it. So I want to know your opinion because I think you, you'll probably give some good insight. You know, what's gone down here and, and who's in the right? You know, just, have they done Ben Simmons dirty or, or the 76ers, should they look to move on from him? Yeah, I think both sides are probably in the wrong. Like, I think Ben Simmons has not done a good job of improving upon the skill set that he had when he came into the league. And so there has to be a little bit of responsibility on him and when a team takes a chance on you as a number one pick, provides you with a max contract that they were able to pay you at that time, there is some expected development that's supposed to come along with that. When you're a third or fourth year player, you're not expected to stay at that level for the rest of your career. You're expected to develop. And so Simmons does have responsibility to continue to get better. And we haven't seen that from him. He still has the same issues he had when he came into the league, which is even being willing to take a jump shot being willing to be aggressive attacking the rim, um, being willing to get to the free throw line. Those are things that have been issues since he has been in the league and they're still problems. And I will say he has done a great job of developing into an elite defender. I think he's the best defender in the NBA, but he has refused on the offensive side of the ball to mold himself into a player that can play with Joel Embiid. And that's what you have to do when you're the second best player on a team. You have to fit in with the star and he has not done that well at all. However, I think the Sixers have handled this very poorly because when the offseason started, there was a mutual understanding between Simmons and the Sixers that they were going to move on from him. That was what Simmons wanted, and that was what the Sixers wanted. The Sixers do not want to bring him back. However, 
Daryl Morey, the GM of the 76ers, has been very, very stingy in his asking price for Simmons. And because of that, we've seen Simmons still remain a 76er. And now we're getting to close to training camp. And there's an issue because Simmons is not going to want to report. He's been told he's been he's been told that he was going to leave. They had told him you're going to be traded. We're going to find a new home for you. And so that's where I have an issue with the 76ers is that Simmons was told he was going to leave. So these bridges have already been burned. He does not have a good relationship with Joel Embiid because he assumed he was going to be leaving. Embiid has kind of thrown him under the bus a few times. Simmons obviously does not want to be a part of that organization anymore and was told that he could start to look elsewhere. And so with the Sixers giving him that information, um, I do think that that is mainly the Sixers' fault for leading him on. If, if you didn't want to get rid of him, then you shouldn't have made it sound like that in the first place um, because now you're in a situation where I do think Simmons has the right to hold out because he was told he was going to be on a different team. So he, he's under, obviously, contractual obligation, and the Sixers have an ability to find him. But if, if Simmons is willing to accept those fines, I, I think he's in the right to, to hold out of this situation because the Sixers gave him – a, a promise that he was going to be traded and he hasn't been because they've been. Yeah, I think that's a great outside. breakdown. And, and what I'm hoping is this is a really good introduction to kind of give us, get us into a bigger conversation about the business of sports. But this is just such an interesting discussion because if Ben Simmons is a role player and he, you know, is paid like a role player in this league, this isn't even a discussion. But because of the nature of him being a star player and having a max contract, it's just made this such uh, more of a, a a blown up situation where the 76ers don't really know what to do and Simmons is now you know tired of it and I feel for Simmons because this kind of reminds me of that situation where you're dating a girl or boy and at the end of the relationship all you can think about is all the problems they have and what you don't like about them and what gets on your nerves and so you break up with them and then you realize oh I actually still like them like yeah they have a lot of problems but we I still want to get back together and at that point Ben Simmons is like no 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 you didn't like me you didn't love me and so just get rid of me like I'm not going to come back it's too late and so I think I think Simmons you know it looks kind of bad for him now like I they tried to I read a report where teammates were trying to fly out to LA to talk to him and he didn't even want to do that. And so it kind of is a bad look for him, but yet I understand it because you have Joel Embiid, your star player, the guy that you would want to stand up for you at all costs, has kind of thrown him under the bus and the organization has treated him like he's not worth what they paid him. And so if I'm him, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm out of here. You know, you can't treat me like that as a star player and then expect me to still want to play for that organization. But yet the money aspect is what is so tricky because he's under this huge deal. And so it, nobody wants to take that knowing Ben Simmons is you know incapable of doing a lot of things on the floor. Yes, he provides some great value, but is anybody going to be willing to give up as much as they're asking for just to get Ben Simmons? Yeah, and I can't remember if we've talked about this before on the podcast, but the thing with Simmons is he does certain things at a elite, elite level. Like He is one of the best defenders in the NBA. He's a, one of the best transition playmakers in the NBA as well. Um, but then there's other things that he does horribly, which obviously is shooting, um, being aggressive around the rim, um, being able to function within an offense where shooting is not completely surrounding him. And so there's not – that many scenarios where it makes sense for Simmons, right? Because he has to fit within a certain scenario. So um, one of those scenarios, I, I have two main ones that I really think he could fit in. Um, the first one I really love to fit is in Minnesota. 
And I think a package would look something like D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley and maybe a first-round pick um, for Ben Simmons. And the reason that I really like this fit for him, one, that Minnesota has shown that they are pursuing him. They're, they're going after him. They think he would be a good fit. And the thing with Simmons is you have to surround him with shooting, right? And being able to surround Simmons with Carl Anthony Towns, who is – one of the best shooting big men in the league, he sometimes plays more like a forward than he does a center because of his ability to stretch the floor. That would allow Simmons to stay around the paint a lot more and allow Towns to space the floor. Um, and Simmons can still play make at that um, with his strength and also have Anthony Edwards to run in transition with. Um, so that situation really makes sense for me. And I think um, for Philly, getting back D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley um, is not an amazing package for Simmons. It's not what Daryl was looking for to begin with, but his asking price was completely unrealistic. And D'Angelo Russell is a good pick and roll player. So that pick and roll with Embiid is going to be very effective. And what Philly has been looking for for years now, ever since they let go of JJ Redick is perimeter shooting. And Malik Beasley provides that in volume. He's a great perimeter shooter. He's got a quick high release. He jumps very high so he can get a shot off easily. And Surrounding Embiid with those two shooters along with the rest of their roster, I think makes them a more complete team and allows them to be more efficient offensively. So I like this deal for both yeah, sides I think, and I hope it happens. I'm not so sure I'm not sure why the 76ers all of a sudden are so intent on keeping Simmons. Because to me he doesn't he he, he hasn't won them games. Like I mean they, they lost in the Hawks they lost to the Hawks in the playoffs. And so, like, it's not like they were a great team with him. And, you know, a lot of times you look on the floor, there's that video that I've seen played over and over again where he turns on a spin move and is, like, right at the rim. And he throws it instead to somebody, Matisse Tyable, who can't do anything with the ball. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, he's he can't even shoot a layup. And so, it, I don't know why they're so intent on keeping him. But, like you said, I think somewhere like Minnesota would be a great fit for him because there's not a lot of pressure. And I think what we've seen from Simmons and what I've realized is, yes, he's an all-star at some things in the game. But the NBA is built on scoring, and he needs to be on a team where he is, at, at minimum to me, the third-best scorer. Like, he does not need to be your second-best scorer. And, you know, even potentially, like, he should be lower than the third – but going to a place to where Towns could take that load off of him and and the paint would be more open, I think would be great for him. Wherever he may end up going needs to have that kind of structure. But then, yeah, for the 76ers, you have Embiid. So if you surround him with, with just talent in general, uh, yeah, you're going to lose the passing and the defense of Simmons. But I don't think it's as big of a deal as they're making it to hold on to him. Yeah, Daryl Morey, their GM, has had – two pretty big philosophies in his time as a GM. And I think that is why um, he's being held from being traded at this point. Daryl always wants to acquire the best player in a trade. And he's, he said that in the past. He said, I always want to target the best player. And so a lot of these trades that have been thrown out that make sense are two for ones, and Philly's getting the two players. And so inherently you're going to be giving up the best player in that trade probably. And I think Daryl is very hesitant to do that because that just goes against what he believes of acquiring as much talent as possible. Um, and I don't really think there's that many options for a trade that makes sense um, in acquiring a player better than Simmons. Cause I don't know why a team that's contending that has a good player would want to give it up for Simmons unless um, the, the Sixers basically would have to um, at that point, hope that Lillard asks out of Portland in a few months, if they're dysfunctional and then also throw Simmons, Maxi, all your picks, Thibel, whatever else you can, or to do the same thing with the Clippers. If 
this season's going downhill and Kawhi's still not going to play all year and go after Paul George with Simmons, Maxi, the picks and Bible, right? That's, that's going to be the only option if they want to acquire the best player in a trade. And obviously you would love to have Paul George or Damian Lillard, but that takes those teams being willing to give both players up. And I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen at this point. Um, and so with Daryl always wanting the best player in a trade and always wanting to win a trade, um, that's really making it difficult for them to find a partner. And the other one that makes sense, some sense to me is Sacramento. And they have a big combination of guards there. And it's, it's a little bit of a log jam there with De'Aaron Fox, um, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and also now drafting Davion Mitchell, who looked pretty good in summer league, um, wreaking havoc on the defensive end. Um, it's going to be hard for all those guys to get a lot of minutes um, with the roster they have. And I think a swap of the two, the two players I would like the best to go in that trade for Philly would be Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald. I think that's a pretty fair package for Ben Simmons. Simmons is clearly the best player in that trade. But similar to the Russell and Beasley deal, um, Halliburton is a really young player. He's very talented. He's a super smart player, and he's good off the catch and shoot. He can run an offense well, get the ball to Embiid um, like you need him to. And then Buddy Heald is such an underrated shooter. He's Based on his percentages and his volume, he's a historically great three-point shooter. And because he's in Sacramento, he doesn't really get the respect he deserves. But in Philly, um, with him, Danny Green, um, some of, and then maybe Halliburton spacing the floor for Embiid, that offense would be a really tough offense to deal with. And so I love the idea of seeing Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton in Philly as well. Um, I think Sacramento would probably be a little hesitant to try to give up some of that young talent, but we've known they've been, we know they've been willing to give up Buddy Heald. They were going to give him up for Kuzma, Harrell, and a pick. So that Heald is willing to be moved. Um, the question is just whether they would be willing to give up Halliburton or maybe that would have to be, um, I don't know how they view Halliburton compared to Fox. They may like Halliburton more. They may like Fox more. That could be another possibility. Um, I don't think Philly would do Davion Mitchell and Heald. I don't think they would um, get enough offensive creation out of that deal. Um, but Halliburton and Heald makes the most sense to me. Um, and I would be really excited. It's such a difficult Philly. situation because at this point, the Sixers aren't going to get the value they want out of the deal. And Simmons wants to be moved. And the problem with that is, as you mentioned, he's probably going to have to go somewhere that's NBA jail. Like nobody wants to go to Minnesota. Nobody wants to go to Sacramento. I mean, those are the little brothers, the small markets of the league. And so unfortunately for him, moving is going to require him to build up his image in a place where it's hard to do that. And he's probably going to have to endure some losing wherever he goes. And like you said, for the Sixers wise, which I think it could work out better for them, they're going to have to make a deal where they they get value and, and a fit more than they do star power. And to me, that could be more powerful because you still have a Tobias Harris. You know, he's still good. And so you can get two guys like a Heald and whoever else you want to put in there who can space the floor and shoot. And in the long run, their offense could be a lot better, but you're just not going to get that name um, brand. And so it's going to be interesting to see what gives. Like, is Simmons going to just finally cave in and come back? It doesn't look like it at this point. Are the Sixers going to, you know, be willing to make a deal with the team that is not as attractive, doesn't have the star power? But then for Simmons, you're getting sent to, you know, Minnesota or Sacramento. And so just so many interesting scenarios for them. And when it all comes down to it, I think the Sixers are just not good enough for this. They're not good enough to deal with this right now. Like they haven't even made it to uh, the NBA Finals, and you know they don't even look ready to win a conference finals. Yeah, a couple of things to add on to that. Um, Simmons has said in the past he want, he would like to go to one of the 
he said one of the three California teams, which does not include Sacramento, but makes me think that he would still enjoy being in California. And a lot of those guys live in LA, they live in San Diego, and then they, they play in Sacramento. So that, that seems like a realistic option for him to still be able to live in California. I think he would enjoy that. Um, and then being able to play on the Kings and, yeah, with, with the Sixers, it, at that point, you're really asking Embiid to be a top five, top three even player in the NBA if you want to win the championship because you're not going to have another star next to him. It's going to be a lot of great role players, though. And so if Embiid does have like an MVP caliber season and those guys play their roles well, they are going to be a really good team, but it'll still be hard to compete with the Nets, the Bucks, the Lakers, those, those top teams. Yeah, and it's, to it's going to be really interesting uh, to see how the 76ers look without Ben Simmons because we've gotten used to that offense. And then how Ben Simmons, I wouldn't say that he's, you know, his reputation is ruined, but I don't know how he's going to fix it either. It's going to be interesting to see what he tries to do with his game wherever he goes. Because I don't think he's magically going to just try to start shooting jump shots now. I mean, I see these videos of him in practice runs where it looks like he has one. But, you know, I don't see that translating to the game all of a sudden. Um, And so that's just such a weird situation because of the star talent that he is perceived as. But yet we have not seen the production yet. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm I'm of the opinion that I I think if he started taking threes in the game right now, he can make about 30 percent, which is not horrible like you would live with that if you're um if you're a fan of that team but he I think it's a mental thing I think he's completely psyched himself out in that regard and just has decided I'm not going to shoot if I'm not going to be elite and that's never going to happen so he's going to have to eventually convince himself that it's okay to be a bad shooter it's still better than not shooting at all because it makes the defense at least somewhat respect yeah, you out on the perimeter we'll close the the Simmons saga on this but is it time to start, you know, questioning the 76ers player development? Obviously, the process was a big thing, but you think about Markel Fultz. Sounds similar, shooting problems, couldn't work with the team. Ben Simmons, mental block, shooting problems. I mean, they just seem to have a lot of these high picks not, you know, pan out. And maybe it's it's time to start thinking uh, about that organization as one that can't develop the talent that they pick. Um, and Yeah, it's hard because they just went through a, um, a transition in leadership. So um, it may have been possible that that leadership is now is now gone. But yeah, they definitely have not dealt with their top talent very well. Like some of those other guys, um, you know, Max, he's looked all right in his first year. Um, Matisse Thibel has developed into a really good defender. So like some of those more fringe players have um, have developed a little bit more, but they've not handled yeah. their stars very well. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think we're now going to move into like kind of the overall arching topic of this episode. This really brings up a discussion of just the overall business of sports and how it's changed over the years and how interesting of a topic it is with how play or players deal with teams, teams deal with players. And we've kind of moved into an era where it used to be in the old days, you know, or teams had full control owners had full control and they could kind of do whatever they want with their roster players didn't have a say it was kind of viewed as obviously this is a business you know and you're an employee of mine I can fire you if I want I can pay you if I want and they were really at the mercy of the owners and we've seen a shift in all of sports I think you can even my first episode I talked about NIL in college you know where the players have started to realize we are the ones making the, them the money. We're the ones that are seen on TV. We need to be the ones that have almost as much power 
as them. And I think that bleeds into the Ben Simmons discussion is he thinks he has enough power to get what he wants out of this. And so it's the business of sports has just changed so much with this player empowerment movement. And we'll stay in the NBA at first, but I want to talk about overall sports. You know, do you think it's a good thing right now how much power the players have in the NBA? I think I think it depends on what you're looking for from your sports league because I know most people that are NBA fans at this point. Um, like I know I'm I'm still a diehard Oklahoma City Thunder fan. Like I'm I'm loyal to a team, and there's a lot of people that are as well. But a, a lot of NBA fans um, have shifted to cheering for yeah. players as much as they have cheering for teams, and if you're cheering for players, then it really doesn't matter. And it may even be more fun because you get to see your player move around the league a lot, play with different guys. You get to see them play with their friends a lot of the times. Um, like, for example, in, in Brooklyn with like Durant and, Durant and Kyrie, they're very close and then they team up together. Um, and so I think if you're a fan of a player, it, it's, it's probably more fun to see your guy in different settings, see how he responds to different scenarios, um, different, different competition as well. Um, but it is it is difficult if you're a fan of a certain team, I would say, um, especially in a smaller market with with all of that going on to expect that you're going to be able to compete unless you perform really well in the draft. I think it's I think it's clear at this point that there's three ways in the NBA you can improve your team. And that's through free agency, the draft. Um, and then I'm forgetting the third one right now because I'm going blank. But there's there's not that many ways you can improve your team. Trades, yeah, I was gonna say. And oh, through trades. Yes. OK, so. Yeah, free agency to draft and trades. And two of those options when you're a small market don't work very well because free agency, you're not going to get guys to sign. They're going to sign in bigger markets. And then trades are a good idea, but if you trade for a player and they leave in two years, most of the time the trade's not worth it. And so for those smaller markets, draft control is really the important, the most important capital you can have because it allows you to have a guy under team control most of the time for seven or eight years if they pan out. And so that's why you've seen some of these teams like the Thunder, for example, stockpile draft picks is because they think that's their best chance to have a competitive, um, competitive high level team. And so we've seen kind of this split from the high level teams, the high market teams like Los Angeles, New York, um, Golden State, those teams that are really in a lot of money versus some of those lower teams. And they're having to approach the sport completely differently. And to me, that's not a great sign that the teams aren't even having to use the same approaches to build a team, right? Like you think about the NFL, everyone's kind of got the same strategy, right? Like it's just build through the draft, sign good players, free agents, get some value out of those, um, keep some, keep veterans around until, until they're not worth it. And you got to cut them. Like there's, there's pretty uniform strategy, but in the NBA, it's really shifted to um, big market strategy versus small market strategy. Um, and they yeah, really, feed it really bothers me now in the NBA. Um, how a player like LeBron, like Kevin Durant, can kind of bully their way wherever they want to and then make a team however they want to. I mean, we saw with LeBron kind of do this with the Miami Heat, and I don't blame him. Like, you know, you want to win championships. He did that. Kevin Durant, same way. With Golden State, wanted to go win championships. He did that. Now with Brooklyn, they have another super team. But the fact that it's turned into – um these organizations just kind of bend to the will of the players. And, you know, it, it's power. 
and that's why I think it was so refreshing to see a guy like Giannis win the championship is because he didn't do that. He didn't be like, all right, I'm going to go join this organization. I'm going to manipulate the salary cap. I'm going to manipulate the rest of the league to where I go get these star players and we it's just impossible to win. Obviously, we talked about how the Nets are Kevin Durant shoe size away from potentially winning, but it's just... It's frustrating to me that, you know, it's it seems like the NF, the NBA more than any other sport is just so, not staged, but it's just so, it's predictable because of how much player or power these players have to manipulate the organizations. And what really frustrates me is, like you were saying, the New York Knicks, they're always going to be relevant because they're in a big market. And they don't deserve to be, you know, but because they have that money, because they have the, you know, persona that the, that New York brings, they're going to be able to always be talked about getting those free agents guys. Yeah. And that to me is where you have to kind of look at each individual deal um, in its own context, right? Because especially in free agency, when, like when a guy has fulfilled his contract and reached free agency, um, I really don't have a problem with them choosing to do um, whatever they think is best for their career. Obviously, um, as a Thunder fan, the Durant-Golden State decision drove me insane just because he went to the team he had just lost to, so it felt very non-competitive. But especially with those guys in free agency, like the LeBron to Miami one, for example, like I, I have no problem with that just because he fulfilled his contract with the Cavs. It's his right at that point um, to go do whatever he wants. And I think the, the problem recently is you're seeing guys um, it, like in the past, it was either you sign your extension with your team or you wait and you hit free agency and you go um, and find another team you want, right? So you had to pick between getting the larger contract with your team because your, your original team has the opportunity to pay you more money to keep you, um, which I think is a smart thing because it'll, it, it incentivizes players to stay with their current teams, which is probably good for the league. You either do that or you wait and you go to free agency. Well, but now what you're seeing happen is guys are signing those extensions and then two years later, they're just saying, oh, now I want out. And I think that's a problem for the league because at that point, the contracts don't really mean anything. Like guys are signing four-year deals. And then after a year, they're saying, well, this, this situation is not what I expected it to be. I, I, I want to I be traded from here. And the teams are in tough spots because, sure, you can, hold, you can try to fight with them, but the player usually is going to win out in that negotiation eventually. And you're going to have to come to a point where you're just going to have to trade them. And so – that, that, to me, is, is probably the biggest problem for the league is those guys that are asking out of long extensions pretty early on in the deals. Um, like Harden, it, Harden is an example of that. Um, if, if Lillard ends up asking out, that's another example of that where he's still got three or four years left on his deal. Um, so those, those kind of situations, I think, um, are, are the biggest issues right now in the league. Um, but I think one thing that's interesting, if you look at pretty much any league, um, the way you value the players is going to be how much power they have. Like the way the players are valued on the field is going to dictate their ability to control things off the field. And so we talked about earlier in, in basketball, if Simmons was some role player, none of this would matter. Like you're right because yeah. Simmons wouldn't have any power. And in the same way, some players, you don't see this in the MLB. You don't see players, the some random player on a roster um, who's the 15th best player on his team holding out because he the, the team will just cut him loose. They'll say, we'll find somebody else that's just as good as you. No problem. So if you, if, to me, you can always translate 
the value of a player on the court to the power they have off the court. And that's why the NBA is having the biggest issue with this right now is because they are the most star driven league stars make the biggest difference. And so naturally they're going to, they're going to create. Yeah, and I, I do well want to get into a discussion of some of these other leagues and how the business works there, but you brought up a really good point. It's a star driven league. And I, I do want to mention that the onus gets put on the team as well. Like we're not, I don't want to blame the players for everything because in the Ben Simmons situation, sometimes the teams are the ones halfway into a max contract. Like, oh, we don't know if we want you anymore. And that's the argument a lot of these players have made. I've heard it from a lot of the star players is that, you know, the, the, the organizations don't feel any sympathy for us. If they want to fire us, if they want to cut us, if they want to trade us, they do. And so we should be able to do the same thing. But at the same time, it's, that's their job. Their job is to improve their business, to improve their organization. And it just feels really shallow when you have a guy like James Harden, who has been so valuable to that Houston city, that franchise. And then he just decides, I'm not going to care. I'm going to burn all my bridges on my way out of here. And then I'm going to go join Kevin Durant in a super team in Brooklyn. And it's just... I can see where it's infuriating for fans of these teams, like you mentioned in small markets and and fans in general, because it seems like no matter what you do or no matter who you cheer for, you're at the mercy of what these stars want to do. Yeah. And that to me is like the toughest issue to unpack because I understand it from a player's perspective where you're sitting there and you're saying, this team can trade me whenever they want. If I don't perform well, I'm probably going to get dealt. And so you have that pressure and then you're thinking, okay, well, why can I not exert the pressure I have to make that same thing happen, right? Because you know the team would do it to you if it was the other way around. Um, the, one, the one reason that I, I, I kind of disagree with that logic is just because you as a player, like when you come into the NBA, you understand the way the league is structured. Like you know what the collective bargaining agreement is and you know that the league is set up in a way where teams are being competitive and that makes the league more money, right? Like the competition of sports is what makes leagues money because it's interesting to follow. It's exciting. It, it changes things up from year to year because every team is trying to make their team better. Right. And so that, that part of the league is something that, you know, when you come into it, you know, that's how it works, right? Teams have the ability to move from you and you still get your contract. They're most NBA contracts are mostly are pretty much all NBA contracts are guaranteed. So you're going to get paid your money. And to me, that that logic is, has a little bit of a misunderstanding of the way the league is structured because one of the reasons you're getting paid that much money in the first place is because of the competitive yeah. environment. And to me, league. what it really comes down to is the league has shifted from, it used to be people, the players view this as a job where you worked for your organization. And yes, you're out there playing basketball, doing doing what you love and you want to win, but it was loyalty to that organization. And now the focus has changed. The players view the organizations to me as a means to an end. If this organization gives me a chance to win a championship, that's all I care about. And and so if that's the case, then I'll stay with them. But if not, then I'm out of here. And it's, you know, we do see players like a Giannis who who were able to stick with their organizations and see that come to fruition. But that's not how it is for everyone. And a player like Charles Barkley comes to mind, who, yes, he moved around the league, but he never won a championship. And you saw him never really like force his way out of anywhere. And now he has to live with that. But in today's world, if you don't win a championship in your prom, you can just wait till the latter end of your career and force your way to a championship team. Um, And it's, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily bad for the sport, but it's just it's different and it's, it's such a money and championship driven league. 
Yeah, and, and this is hard to hard to quantify because people look at teams differently. But I do usually have much more sympathy for a player wanting out if it feels like their organization has failed them in the past. Like, yeah. for example, with Rodgers in Green Bay, it feels like he should have gotten more out of his career, right? It feels like Green Bay failed him um, in many different regards, the way they drafted, the way they acquired talent. It did not team up to par, and that led him to have less success than he probably should have if he was somewhere else. And so those kind of situations, I, I do have much more sympathy for the player in wanting out because they're trying to maximize their career. You don't have unlimited time as an athlete. Like as soon as you hit a certain age, you start to deteriorate. And so with, with those kind of players, um, I definitely have more sympathy for them trying to get out. Whereas guys in great situations already, um, a lot of times, I think at that point, you're, you're better off probably just staying put where you are and hoping that you can build a championship contender. Um, with yeah, the I think that that kind of segues into how we'll wrap up this discussion is, it's interesting how different it is when you look at another sport. Like, look at the NFL and a star like Aaron Rodgers, and we've seen stars like this. You know, it's just not the same power structure because there's more guys on a team for one. There's more red tape to cut through as far as structure in the organization. And it's all about guaranteed money. Like, you know, with injuries at this point, it's, you know, or they're not looking to guarantee a lot of money. And so the players don't have as much power in a league like the NFL. And only the very best, like the Mahomes of the world uh, and, you know, people like that are the ones who know that they're going to be taken care of but I would say more than any other league you can argue the major league baseball as well we can talk about that you know real quickly but you just you could be traded at any time you could be cut at any time and we've seen these star players like I think of a guy like Todd Gurley he goes from like MVP for the Rams to he's barely even in the league I don't I mean if he is he's on a a practice squad somewhere and it's just such a, a ruthless league where you have to get your money and you have to be willing to uh be prepared to to defend yourself and then and then potentially play on another team Yeah, and and that's broadly speaking why a lot of the times I don't have a major issue with some of the things the players do because it is a business and that works both ways. And so if you, especially in a position like running back where you're known for having three, four, five good years and then starting to fall off, um, if you're not going to maximize the the value in that time, you're never going to have that value again. And so like I think of, for example, like Ezekiel Elliott, um, when he held out that offseason, there was a lot of controversy around it. And he ended up getting a big contract, which I'm sure the Cowboys probably regret at this point. But he got that big contract. And now he is still a good running back. He's still a very solid back. But he doesn't look like the guy that he originally was when he came into the league. And so for it was very important for him to hold out in that offseason and get his contract immediately because he wasn't going to have the chance to get it later on. And so um, a lot of these leagues, especially the NFL, um, those players – like you mentioned, are looking for guaranteed money because um, at those positions, it, it's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous game, and you can you, that money can go away in in an instant. Yeah, and I think we see more in the NFL than any other league. Just the seriousness of, of taking care of yourself because the league doesn't necessarily do that for you. And you hear stories of these great players who are now like either bankrupt or struggling for money. Um, and like you said, you, you ha- nowadays you have to make sure you get that, that payday if you're one of these star players because you don't know when you're going to be out of the league, especially at a position like running back, at wide receiver, where you're not as valuable and you're replaceable. And really quarterback is the one position I think where you can see somebody get taken care of a little bit better. 
But it just shows how you know interesting it is to we glorify these players and and you know that they're star athletes, but yet in all reality they're in they're in such a shaky business where it's one minute you're you're praised for who you are, you're compensated like a star athlete, and the next you're cut and you're traded and you're out of the league. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's that's a good spot to go ahead and transition into some of the NBA offseason moves because um, the first one we're going to hit on is Dennis Schroeder's fiasco and the transition from him. The Lakers offered him during the season four years, $84 million, and now um, I believe he's getting less than $6 million with the Celtics at this point. And like you mentioned, I mean, he had a rough playoffs. He did not shoot the ball well, turn the ball over. Um, it was not effective for the Lakers at all. And your perception in the league can change so quickly. And when there's only a limited amount of roster spots available, once, once some of those teams like the, um, the Pelicans acquired a guard, um, we had the Knicks acquire Kimball Walker, Pelicans, Devontae Graham, and then Kyle Lowry going to the heat. Like once those point guard slots start to fill up, there's only a limited number of them. And so then teams aren't going to be willing to pay you. And he really missed an opportunity to um, obtain certainty with, with his financial future. And now he's, um, has to be regretting that decision um, a lot. Obviously, with a one-year deal, if he performs well, he can get back on the open market and hopefully make some of that back. But um, that that's one example of how quickly um, that money can yeah, go away. Yeah, you as you mentioned, we're going to uh, – NBA season is almost upon us, and it's a lot of this business is going on. And uh, this is kind of a good – we're, we're going to do an NBA preview in-depth, kind of like we did for college football and NFL in a couple of weeks. Um, but we've seen a lot of interesting moves this offseason. And there were reports, you can correct me on this, but I think he was supposed to get uh, four years, $84 million, something like that, for, with, with the Lakers. Uh, yeah, that's so right. that's, that's right. you know a little over $20 million a year. And he signs for on a one-year $6 million deal, something like that, with the Celtics. And obviously, as a Celtics fan, I'm, I'm ecstatic because I think that's going to help the team a lot this year. Don't know if he's going to stay with the team or not more than just this one year. And I, he's been lighthearted about it. I've seen him post on Instagram, like, you know, send me your best memes about me fumbling the bag and all of this. But it really goes to show you, you don't know what's out there for you. Like, you, you, I guess he was hoping that, you know, another team would be willing to overpay for him. But as you said, there's a limited number of roster spots. And if there isn't an organization that just is in need of your services, you need to realize that you're a cog in a big business and you know you're not special necessarily and so because of that you have to take the money that is given to you and I don't know if Schroeder necessarily is going obviously he could have made more money I don't know if this is necessarily going to hurt him in the long run if he plays well but you know it, it looks very bad for him you know not taking that money and uh, we'll kind of get into the breakdown of some of these other offseason moves but you know, for the Celtics, I think that's a great a great deal because you now get a guy to lead your second unit, uh, and boy, potentially even play point guard with the starters late in games, and you know that's that's what you're looking for on these for these offseason moves is you're looking to go get guys that can at a great value that can really help your team. Yeah, and even with the struggles he had, I still think he's way closer to a twenty million dollar a year player than five. Like that's. He, he, the market dictated his value much more than his play did. And that to me is why when you get the chance to get 95%, 90% of what you think you're going to get in the open market later on, sometimes it's best to just take it because that uncertainty, like you mentioned, 
Um, you never really know what's going to happen with the free agent market. But yeah, the Celtics, um, that's a big ad for them. They, they didn't have much depth last year. They, they had obviously Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and some other decent players, but they have much more of a complete roster this year, um, also with the addition of Al Horford. And so um, I look for Schroeder to be a nice spark for them and provide some offense to help take the load. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't think the Celtics are necessarily going to be um, NBA championship contenders, but I think it is good for them to get rid of. They needed to get rid of this star point guard idea. You know, they tried Kyrie, they tried Kimba, it just wasn't working. And Schroeder's the guy that can kind of, he's good enough to uh, be very productive, but he's not going to take away from, from Brown and Tatum. Um, yeah, and having Kimba on a big deal, like, the gap between no. Schroeder and Kimba is not massive. Like, Kimba is probably, Kimba is definitely better than Schroeder, but to have one guy on a huge contract and then one guy on a $5 million a year contract, like, that's, that's definitely a positive swap. And there's situations where Schroeder, I think, is is more valuable. I mean, he can score in a different way than Kimba. Um, and it's almost more valuable that he's not as ball dominant as, as Kimba is. Um, but let's talk about some of these other NBA offseason yeah. moves, uh, especially that have, you know, changed a lot of these team structures. The big one I, that we've, you know, seen a lot about is the, what the Lakers did this offseason, obviously bringing in Russell Westbrook and they made a lot of other moves for, for some for some you know smaller pieces Malik Monk Carmelo Anthony uh, you can talk about a couple of others um, so I mean obviously they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis how how revamped is this Lakers team and are they ready for a push you think now yeah so I like their chances a lot more in the regular season now because um, we know if Westbrook's healthy he's bringing it every single night right and so I think he allows LeBron and Davis who Davis is still pretty young, but gets banged up pretty consistently. Um, he gets a lot of tic-tac injuries out for two, three games, then comes back out for another couple games and comes back. So, and LeBron, it's, he doesn't have to rest, but it is smart for him to be able to conserve his energy in the regular season. Um, Cause we've seen when he's able to do that, he's able to really flip a switch in the playoffs um, and, and turn it on. So I really think Westbrook makes a lot of sense in the regular season for them just to give them energy every single night and consistent production um, in every single box score category. But where they fit in the playoffs is going to be the most interesting thing because we know the age-old formula is if you have LeBron in shooting, you're probably going to have a top five offense. And you can find shooting around the league pretty easily if you if that's your goal. And the Lakers have decided to take a risk here and get playmaking, athleticism, and aggressiveness instead and it could pay off for them in the playoffs but if we get to the playoffs and they simply cannot space the floor then I think you're going to be looking in some late game situations where Russ is maybe not even in the game and at that point you have to look back and wonder would they have been better off just getting Buddy healed because I don't think anyone would say healed is a better player than Westbrook but we've known now for forever if LeBron has shooting that's that's instant offense and if he has the opportunity to kick it out to those guys he's probably the best driving kick player in the league and so having the lack of shooting I'm a little worried about but I do think they did a good job with like you said Malink Monk, Carmelo Anthony, Kendrick Nunn some of those other guys they signed I think will provide that spark in scoring. Yeah the roster construction is very interesting because as you mentioned when you get a shooter on a LeBron's team it enhances LeBron's ability not only does it enhance that shooter's ability that they have LeBron but it makes LeBron that much better because then he's able to do what he's 
what I personally think he's best at, and that is his passing at this point in his career, his passing ability. And so it really enhances, you know, the type of offense the Lakers could have. Like you said, I think what they really got Westbrook for is they needed that guy, and I think they saw this last year, that when LeBron is out of the game or he's having an off night, they can give the ball to somebody else. And Westbrook is that, like, he's so dominant with the ball that he's still going to be able to create some offense that, you know, you know, Schroeder couldn't or some of these other guys. But yeah, in the playoffs, I think that's why these other moves are so important. And Obviously, we'll, we can talk more about this in our NBA preview, but Carmelo Anthony and Malik Monk might be the more valuable in the playoffs because they space the floor. And I think I saw some LeBron say something like that to recruit Carmelo. It was like, now's the time I need you. Like this is this is when you're important is because you've become yeah. the shooter that that's not as ball dominant. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's um, and how that how that team looks in the playoffs is going to be. Um, what everybody's waiting to see because with that kind of star power in the regular season you're gonna you're gonna have a good record as long as you stay healthy but yeah moving moving into another team that we're I'm really interested to see come playoff time now is the Miami Heat with um, they signed Jimmy Butler to a max contract acquired Kyle Lowry and then signed Duncan Robinson to a a five-year 90 million dollar contract I believe and so they brought their guys back and then they also added obviously a great point guard veteran leader in Kyle Lowry who really fits um, what they like to do there. Um, my biggest concern, I think, with that team now is um, I don't know if they have enough. Um, I don't know if they have one dominant playmaker. I know Butler is um, a good playmaker, maybe not a great one. I know Lowry is kind of in that same boat. Um, and so I wonder, I'm very curious to see whether their strategy of kind of getting all similar style of players um, in Lowry, Butler, Bam, I think they all kind of play very similar physical games. Um they're not, none of them are great shooters. They can all kind of score in the mid-range area. Um, I'm interested to see with them what what happens when um, they face a team that kind of, that locks them up in the interior. And is Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, is that enough perimeter shooting um, to help out with some of the other guys that aren't necessarily as great out there? Um, but well, what, they did a good job, about I think, of getting guys that year? fit. <laughs> heat culture air quotes um because that's what they like is yeah. those tough gritty guys and and Kyle Lowry definitely fits the mold Bam Adebayo is kind of turned into that Jimmy Butler but I think like you said they're they're a team that's they're built for you know to win games in the regular season because they're gonna care um and they're gonna do enough to get a, a playoff spot obviously but just when they go up against the star power, I don't think you can give the ball to any one of those players and say, get me a bucket. Now, I'm a, I'm as big of a fan as anyone of a team game, of, of passing the ball, of ball movement. But I'm not naive. I understand that at the end of the day, you have to have a guy that you can give the ball to and say, go get me a bucket to win games. And, I mean, Butler can do that to some extent, but I just don't see the heat necessarily um, – with these moves, having a good enough roster to be a championship contender. Yeah, that's um, kind of the last point before we move on here. Like, that's why I think the X factor for them this year is Bam Adebayo, because he has not developed to the extent offensively that I think a lot of people hoped he would. Obviously, he's an elite defender. He's a super versatile player still, so he's a great player. Um, but he's still very been very limited to kind of a dribble handoff on the elbow offense. Um his jump shot has not developed much, and he relies much more on athleticism. And so he could, if he could get a little bit of a post game um, and allow the Heat to get some buckets um, just from getting him the ball down on the block, um, I think that would be really helpful to them. And then his ability to create off the dribble is already pretty good for a big man. So if he could improve off that a little bit more, 
Um, I think that's probably the biggest area for improvement for them. Cause I think at this point, we kind of know what Butler is. We kind of know what Lowry is. We know what they're going to bring to the table. So guys like uh, Bam, and then maybe if Tyler Hero um, comes back after his sophomore slump, that yeah, might be a boost I, for I them think that, well. you know, it's all about finding guys that fit your culture. And the Heat did a good job of that. And that's obviously what's going to be successful. Um, and so if those guys take the next step, then they're in the right organization to do so. Uh, but we'll wrap up our uh, NBA offseason discussion with a couple more teams. Uh, obviously, the Chicago Bulls uh, made a lot of headlines this year. Um, or in the offseason, I should say, with the signings of Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, and they now have some star power. Um, but yet, I, I don't think I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, that they're not really high on the Bulls. So I'm interested to see, you know, what what do you think about that that new roster and offense now that that Rosen and Ball, DeRozan and Ball are there? Yeah, this is probably the hardest team for me to figure out because you look up and down the roster at all the names like Lonzo, Caruso. And then they obviously they had DeRozan, Zach Levine, who's developed into an elite scorer, Vucevic, Patrick Williams coming into his, his second year. Hopefully um, he continues – or third year, I believe. Hopefully he continues to develop as a two-way wing. Um, so you look up and down their roster, they have some really talented players. But last year they had a lot of those talented players, and down the stretch they were a terrible team. Like after, after they got Vucevic, they ended up getting worse. And so they're really hard to figure out for me. And I, th- I do think that – I, I like their chances this year to be a solid team just because last year they really struggled on the defensive end. Like Vucevic is not an elite big man defender and Levine when he was carrying most of the offensive load um, was not a great defender either, but adding Lonzo who's a solid defender and everyone knows Caruso for his team defense. Um, I, I do like those additions because I think that's what they were missing. Um, like with the heat, I don't, I don't think they have enough star power just like the heat to um, get through a playoff series against Milwaukee or Brooklyn. Um, but I see no reason why they can't be the third or fourth. Yeah, and I think they, they did well. a good job of getting a collection of talent. And as you like to say, they have good eh, – well, I don't know if they're they're deep, but they have depth of talent now. But I don't know if it's the right collection of talent because none of those guys have proven that they're winners uh, necessarily. I mean, Vucevic has been stuck in the, in Orlando, and you know DeRozan has had success, but you know not to the extent of a star player, not to – as you would want a star player to have. And then you have Levine, obviously. So it's going to be interesting to see if they actually work together to win because none of them have, have proven that yet. And that's really what the, what the goal is of an organization is to get winning players. Yeah, absolutely. And transitioning now into our last topic, I think um, that unknown is what a lot of teams have to deal with when they're offering some of these younger players contract extensions and that's what we're seeing with uh the nuggets here who just signed michael porter jr to um, a max extension five years 207 million dollars it's that same uh rookie extension that a lot of the guys such as trey young shay gilgis alexander um have gotten this offseason and porter is definitely the, the largest unknown out of those guys he um didn't get to play in his first season because he was dealing with back issues but since he has come back he has continued to develop his scoring um his ability to shoot contested, open, on the move is some of the best in the NBA. His his percentages for a shooter are absurd it, from two and from three. Um, it looks like if you look at his percentages, you would think it's a guy that is playing under the rim and just shooting layups with how efficient he is um, with his jump shots. But obviously, he still struggles a little bit defensively. He's continuing to adapt to playing at the NBA level on that side of the ball. Um, but with Murray out, um, I think he's going to have a great opportunity this year to show what he can do in a more um, a, a role that's bigger for him. 
Um, and this is really a bet on his ability to continue to develop um, and yeah, not I think what he is. The right thing for now. Porter is that I think the Nuggets made the right decision. He's got enough talent to justify, um, you know, giving him that deal. But it comes down to at the end of the day, and we'll close on this, that you have to show up when it matters. In Porter in the playoffs, they got blown off the floor against the Suns. And you could say he's not ready, he needs time to grow. But that's what they're going to pay him to do is, you know, be that guy that Jokic can go to when he's not having an insane game, that you can still win a playoff game when it matters and show up. And that's what all these organizations are looking for these players to do that they go out and sign in the offseason is, yeah, we're paying you a lot of money or we're asking you to come in. But what we need you to perform in, in, in is playoff games, is to be that guy that we can count on to serve his role um, because not everybody can be a star. Um, and obviously, as I mentioned, you know, the NBA season is about to show up. It's, a, it's on us. So we're going to have uh, a preview of that coming up moving forward. So everybody be looking forward to that. But Sully, uh, I don't, I don't just want to close you off here. Any final thoughts before we close? Yeah, just to add one last thing on that Porter idea, I think whether he ends up being worth the max contract will just be whether some of those other skills develop other than his shooting. Because you know he's going to be one of the best shooters in the NBA the second he steps on the court this year. That's what he already has been. Um, but if he can continue to become a better playmaker, a better finisher at the rim, and a better team defender, that's, that's where he's going to live up to those expectations. And I think if he does – you're looking at the Nuggets being a real tight Yeah, and I think the Nuggets have already, you know, he's already proven that the Nuggets made a good selection taking a chance on him at 13 when he was dropping in the draft. But now it's just, you know, yeah. let's live up to your expectations and, and let's try to go win a championship. And as I mentioned, we're under a month away from opening night. So a lot of discussion is going to be heard in the media and, and in the headlines coming forward about what we're going to see from this year's NBA season. Me and Sully, as I mentioned, we're going to keep you updated on that. Be doing a couple previews coming up. Uh, Sully, thanks once again, thanks for joining me. Uh, and we'll definitely have you back on to discuss more. Um, and so hope everybody uh, enjoyed listening to this. Please give me suggestions about what you want to hear in the NBA world as we're going to be talking about it coming forward. Uh, and we'll see you uh, next time when we discuss that NBA previews. Thanks again, once again, for listening. And thank you, Sully, for coming on. All right. We'll see you. you guys again next time.